0: Hello and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform. And it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today.
1: So let's jump into what I believe God is not just wanting us to preach on, but what He's wanting us to become. I believe that being a disciple is who we are. It's who we should be, not just what we do. It's who we are. So I want to take some time in just a moment to recap. But before I do, I want to open it with this thought. Um, When I was a kid, my parents used to say to me, my youth pastor, my teachers would say uh, this to me, and I'm going to have you finish it because more than likely you've been told, I have no doubt, you've been told the same thing in your lifetime, all right? And, and the statement goes like this, um, one bad apple, go ahead, finish it, spoils or ruins the whole bunch. And and here's what they mean by that. Here's what they were trying to tell me. They were trying to tell me, Ray, be careful of the fringe that you get around because um, those bad apples could ruin you. Be careful not to hang out with the wrong people because those bad apples can impact your life. And so pretty, uh, pretty wise uh, statement. But, but I came to found, find out later that, that that's not really an accurate statement to make, and here's why. Um, If you understand apples, most people would tell you, and I don't study apples, but I went and did just because I wanted to see if the statement was true. I actually put the statement in, in Google, does one apple, does one bad apple ruin the whole bunch? And here's what scientifically popped up, and it kind of blew my mind, messed me up. The truth be known, it's very odd for one apple to have a worm and that worm to travel to another apple in so much that it ruins the whole bunch. And it's very, very uncommon for a diseased apple to affect another apple with the same disease, especially in the day that we live in, with so much ability to conquer that through chemicals and things of that nature. It just doesn't happen. But what actually ruins another apple is when a mature apple is not used and left in the bunch. An apple produces a gas called ethylene. Ethylene is a maturing agent. It comes out of mature apples and it's given by God to develop and to mature other apples so that they might be used. What rots other apples is when a mature apple is not used and taken out and it causes the other apples around it to rot. Matter of fact, a good little um, home remedy or a home trick, I guess you'd say, a good cooking trick is to take an avocado. We're in the land of avocados, right? We're in the land of guacamole and all that good stuff. And, and so we all use avocados. If you've got an avocado that is not ripe, you can actually put it in a bag, a Ziploc bag, with a ripe apple. And the next day, the avocado will be ripe and ready for use because of the ethylene gases that are coming off that ripe apple. So here's what I found out, Mom and Dad. You're wrong. One bad apple, in your context, doesn't normally ruin the bunch. One good apple, not used, actually is what rots the rest of us. And I've watched this happen in churches across America. It's not bad people coming into churches that have ruined our churches. It's mature people that continue to sit and not be used that is rotting our churches. So science is right. It, it was right, you just kind of, you, you didn't apply it right, okay? And uh, I'm sorry, Mom, you did. <laughs> that's my fault. I shouldn't have addressed you that way in the church house. Matter of fact, a minute ago, I was walking down the aisle, and Carrie was, was coming down the aisle at the same time, and somebody was talking, and I stood out of the way. She, Carrie's like, no, come on first. I'm like, are you kidding? My mom's here. She'll spank me if I don't let you go first, okay? So sorry about that, Mom. And, uh, but uh, th- th- that's the truth of the matter, and now we're seeing this biblically the purpose of a mature christian is to mature others but it's them being used as well that makes a difference and so to go back and recap and to move into what god has for us today let's just let's just recap really quickly Just for the sake of those that are here. First of all, a disciple is a believer. It is someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ. You cannot be a disciple if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And we've spent a lot of time emphasizing that. If you're here today and you're religious or you're a part of the church, you're not a disciple. You're only a disciple if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your personal savior. If I were to ask you right now, hey, are you going to heaven when you die? And you were to say yes, and I were to say, well, tell me why. And you were to say, because I'm a good person or I'm a good Catholic or I'm a good Baptist or I'm a good Mormon or I'm a good uh, Methodist or I'm a good Lutheran or I'm just a good person. And I pay my bills and I take care of my family, you're not going to heaven and you're not a believer. If I say, Are you going to heaven today? and you were to say, Yes, and I were to say, Why? and you were to say, Because I'm a sinner. And I deserve eternal punishment and damnation away from God because of my sin. My wages for my sin is death. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, and he shed his blood, and he covered my sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering my sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because of Jesus, I am saved. Then yes, you're, you're, you're a believer. Salvation, the Bible says, is in none other than Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh in the Father but by me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Did you hear that? It is not of works, lest any man would boast or brag. My belief is all in one basket, and that basket is Jesus Christ. So, other than that, you're not a believer. In order to be a disciple, you first have to be a believer. Number two, in order to be a disciple, you've got to be a follower. And what do we define as a follower? So a follower is someone who has to leave something in order to follow something else. You can't have two masters. The old man has to become new, and there's a turning unto Jesus, and he is now uh, the one that we follow. But then he whittles it down a little bit, doesn't he? A follower has to be also a learner, a student of the word, somebody who is learning and being discipled and growing in the word of God. Do not tell me you're a follower of Jesus if you don't study his word. You're not. You're just an attender. You're just a bystander. You're not a follower of Jesus unless you're a student of the word. You say, well, yes, I am. I follow like those in the Bible. I agree with you. The crowd did start out big. Remember? At least we know he fed how many? 5,000 one time. And then later on, he he fed how many? And then he said the multitudes were so great that were following him that he he couldn't even stand on the shore of the coast anymore and had to get up into somebody's boat. So the crowds were big. But by the time Jesus was ready to go to the cross, how many were there? 120. Interesting, isn't it? It was just 120. Why? Because that, that whittles down uh, God, Jesus, draw, draw, draws a line in the sand when he says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to leave something, you're going to be a learner, and then thirdly, you're going to love me above all else. You cannot be my disciple if you love father, mother, wife, husband, children, even your own self more than me. Okay, so so we're very clear that a disciples, it again, I, I, I don't think I'm doing it. I think the Bible draws the line in the sand. We have some people who are just saved, and they like to casually enjoy Jesus every once in a while. And then we have disciples who are set-apart followers of God. Thirdly, a disciple has to be a worker. No disciple who truly is that has ever not labored for Christ in some manner, in some way. I believe I am today in the presence of a modern-day follower of Jesus Christ and a worker with my parents being in the room. And I don't mean to elevate them. They're humans like you and I. But my dad is not a mechanic that happens to be a believer. My dad is a believer that happens to own a mechanic shop. And his faith in Christ is what drives every step in his life. And I've watched that. And I've watched that in other people in this room. it's, It's following Jesus That is your direction and passion, and everything else is is second to that. And I praise the Lord. I've watched them work in bus ministry, 40 years in children's ministry, many years going over to the church, serving, witnessing, sharing the gospel. It's just been a wonderful example, and it's cool that they're here today. I'm thankful for disciples of Jesus Christ. But we see it all through Scripture. They were workers, laboring. We've been created unto Christ Jesus for good works, praise the Lord. But today, disciple maker, disciple maker. Now, now here's what I want to say in, in order to preface this, this message. I want to say that um, some of us are in the process of getting to the point of being disciple makers. I'm not saying today if you're not making disciples that you're not a disciple, but I am saying if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to become a disciple maker. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear in the Word of God. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 17, And Jesus said unto them, Notice, come ye after me, and I will make you. It it was the pattern of Jesus to do that. I will make you disciples. Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 19 says this, Go ye therefore... And teach all nations. Now, let me pause here and tell you what the word therefore is. If you understand the language, the Jewish language, and the way that's worded now in English, uh, it actually means this since you are going, teach all nations. It doesn't mean like there has to be a call, right? It doesn't mean, Samantha, come and go serve Jesus. It means, since Samantha is going to work or since Samantha is going to the market, or since you're going out, you've already been led to go while you're out, teach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then watch, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. How many of you have ever been a part of a multi, what is, is it called, multi-marketing like Amway or you're selling products and you try to get other people to sell products underneath you and they have to get other people to sell products underneath you? If you haven't ever been one, you've probably been approached by one. Not to say that it's all bad because there are some great products out there. Um, not to say that it's all bad, but but um, these companies did not develop this. This was... Um, this is an idea developed by God, and it's in Scripture. I'm going to go make disciples, and then I'm going to tell you to go make disciples. And they're going to go make disciples. Matter of fact, we see this in Titus chapter 2, verse 3 and 7. Notice here, that the aged men and the aged women, that they may teach the young women, young men likewise, to exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of what? Good works. We are to teach Others, Matthew 9, 37 and 38 said this, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth more what? The word labors there is the word for disciples into the harvest. God has called us to be what? Disciples. Disciples. Now, let me show you. Matter of fact, I did the same thing in the first service, and they nailed it. Let's see if you were as studious as our our friends in the first service. Can somebody give me um, what would be said as the greatest biblical example of a disciple maker and his disciple in the whole Bible? Anybody want to take a gander, a guess, at who is the best disciple that made a disciple? What are are their names? The disciple and his disciple. Disciple, right? Somebody tell me really loud. I, I see it. Paul and who? Timothy. Timothy. So let's watch this happen. I love when stories come come full circle, and and so I I, I want to kind of show you the way this is developed in the Word of God. All right. So so watch how it works. Now, before I do this, today's message I want on purpose to be extremely practical, from extremely practical examples in the Word of God. So so this is what we're looking for. Watch how this works in the Bible. So in Acts chapter 9, Paul is going down the road in a bright light from heaven, and Jesus speaks to Paul, and he says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why do you keep kicking against me? And Paul, or Saul, falls to the ground, and he says, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And he tells him to go into town, and he's going to meet a guy, and, and that guy would take it from there pretty much. And so Paul gets up and he's blinded now by the, by the light. There's scales are over his eyes, the Bible says, and they lead him into town and they lead him to a man by the name of Ananias. In Acts chapter number nine, Paul is instructed to go see this guy Ananias. Now, can you imagine Ananias? God comes to Ananias and he says, hey, uh, Ananias, I want you to know that I'm going to send Saul to you for you to help. He is now uh, putting his rest and faith and trust in me. And, and Ananias is like, oh, come on now. Lord he really does He's like, Lord, uh, is this the same Saul that's been persecuting and killing people and, and you want me to have him in my house okay So Ananias agrees to God and 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 so now Saul Paul, new convert, comes into his house. Paul is discipled by Ananias and other disciples together. For a short time. Then Paul leaves there, and for three years, the Bible says in Galatians 1, he goes to Arabia and Damascus, where for three years he's discipled and taught the law in comparison to Christ. And after three years, Paul himself finally leaves and he goes out on his first missionary journey. While out on his first missionary journey, he shares the gospel to a religious family that happens to be the grandmother and and mother of a guy named Timothy, okay? And so now Paul is is preaching the gospel, and Eunice and Lois get saved and began to disciple Timothy. We find that story in Acts chapter 16. But watch what happens in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Now hang with me. We're, We're watching this whole thing come around. The Bible says that Timothy had been taught the scriptures as a child. His grandmother and his mother had taught him the Torah, but it wasn't until later in life when he was close to his 30s that Paul comes through and gets the gospel, and his mother and grandmother and himself get saved. Then Paul takes Timothy as a son in the faith. The Bible says... But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul takes Timothy in and makes him his son in Acts chapter 16. Now, by the way, let me just emphasize something. It's really important. Paul's dad is mentioned, but the Bible says Paul's dad was a Greek. We have no record that Paul's dad ever trusted Jesus Christ to be his savior. We just—he just references someone who is not a Jew and wasn't. Uh, the, Timothy's teaching didn't come through his dad; it came through his grandmother and mother. But Paul's dad uh, was a Greek and possibly a non-believer. Let me say this today: This is a beautiful story. One of the greatest preachers that ever lived did not have, from what we know of, a believing father raised by just a mother and grandmother. And yet Timothy turned out to be a young man who knew the scriptures because of the teaching and the discipleship of his grandmother and mother and came up to be uh, a son of Paul and a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, our history uh, never, never has to be a deterrent for what God can do in our lives. I don't care if you're a single mom here today. Hey, you hang in there. God's got this. He can help you do this. I don't care if your dad was absent, you can still serve Jesus. I don't care if both parents were lost, you can still give your life to Christ. None of that, none of that is a deterrent to what you can do for Jesus when you surrender your life to him. And so the Bible says that Paul takes Timothy as a son. Timothy himself becomes a minister of the gospel of Christ. He pastors at least five different churches. Paul writes two letters to Timothy, instructing, warning, exhorting, encouraging Timothy. And then in 2 Timothy 2, Paul instructs Timothy to repeat the same process. Now, go with me in your Bibles now into 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2 and chapter number 1. And I want us to see this beautiful truth together that I think is amazing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son. By the way, let me pause here. When you have somebody you're discipling, somebody you have decided to invest in, this is exactly what it feels like. Even this past week, uh, somebody mentioned something to me about one of the people that I'm actively discipling right now, um, uh, and it made me nervous, and I felt like a mama hen or mama bear, and I got into protective mode, and I'm like, no, sir, that's not gonna happen because they feel like they're our children. We're, we're investing the gospel in them, and, and Paul is investing in this, this son, Timothy, right here. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Do you see it? Do you see the circle? The church was never intended to be a people who come and sit God never intended for us to be individuals that um, just simply do nothing. God's plan has always been, all throughout Scripture, for us to recognize the joy of investing and loving and discipling other people so that they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Notice the next passage. I want you to flip to verse, uh, chapter number 1, 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Let's look at this together and notice how this happens. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is going to give you some insight into uh, the bigger picture of, of Timothy's life. Uh, chapter number 1, let's begin reading in verse number 3. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. That without ceasing I have, remembered of thee, I, I, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, watch, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, Timothy, I need you to recognize some things. I need you to recognize what Christ has done for you upon the cross, but I also want you to recognize your responsibility to that. I want you to recognize that not only have, um, through uh, other disciples, your knowledge of me been enhanced, so that you don't have to approach me with, with fear, but you can come with a sound mind. Don't forget where you got that. And then, and then Timothy, give that out. Notice the full circle of this process. Powerful. The impact that we can have on the lives of people. Matter of fact, let me share with you um, a modern day example, if that's okay. Um, Some of you would recognize this. Having been raised in church, you will recognize the name D.L. Moody. If I asked you to raise your hand if you recognize that name, several of you would put your hand up. Many of you would not. Many of you have come to Christ a little bit later in life. You haven't been raised in, can I say, church culture. And so the name D.L. Moody, unless you're familiar with the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, that name really wouldn't carry a lot of weight with you. Um, To put it on terms that you can understand, can I do this? Um, In our lifetime, D.L. Moody probably would be known as the GOAT. Anybody understand the word GOAT? We got that, right? Most of us know, not GOAT like, okay, not that GOAT. We're talking about GOAT, greatest of all time, all right? We're hearing that a lot on the news. Tom Brady is the, the GOAT of football. He is the greatest it's not even an argument of all time. Uh, Michael Jordan, to me, is still the goat of basketball, the greatest of all time. So does that help? For those of you who don't know D.L. Moody, you recognize now that Moody would be in that era the greatest preacher, although he would never see that that way. Matter of fact, it was D.L. Moody that said this after he got saved and he gave his life to preach the gospel. D.L. Moody said this, the world has yet to see what one man totally surrendered to God can do. He said those words. On his deathbed, he said that again. The world has still yet to see what a man totally surrendered to God can do. Even after Thousands upon thousands had been saved because of his ministry. Churches started all over America. Entire cities, um, you've heard of dry counties, right? That means counties who don't sell alcohol. Um, Many of those dry counties became dry through the preaching of D.L. Moody and the impact that was made among communities who followed righteousness and, and living holy lives, et cetera, et cetera. This man was a preacher of the gospel. You want to know how he got saved? His Sunday school teacher, his last name was Kimball. Mr. Kimball had D.O. Moody visit his Sunday school class a couple of times. And the story is told that D.L. Moody um, was working for his uncle in a shoe shop in Chicago. Mr. Kimball, being overwhelmed with the need to reach D.L. Moody with the gospel, walked up to the shoe store, and he grabbed the handle. Then he said, no, I can't. And he started to pace in front of the shoe store and, 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 and was just getting really nervous and deciding if he was going to go in or not. And finally, he said, you know what? It, it's the gospel. I've got to. And he walks into that shoe shop, and he goes into the back room where D.L. Moody was packing shoe boxes. And he walks up to D.L. Moody, and here's what he says. Hey, hey D.L., Dwight, God loves you. And from that one statement, he sat there and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with with D.O. Moody. And D.O. Moody trusts Jesus Christ. And then Kimball and the men of his church began to disciple D.O. Moody for him to grow up someday and return the process to repeat the process in the lives of people. Hey, I don't know what you're doing for Jesus and it was great having Amy Bailey and Tim Good in the first service who were Sunday school teachers to little children and to teenagers and others that are investing in the lives of people. It's worth it. That gospel pride, you never know what God's gonna do. It's worth it. Mr. Harold, right, dad? came by my dad's house and knocked on his door, asked him to get on the bus. Gerald. Gerald, not Harold. I knew Mr. Gerald came by the house, knocked on his door, and as a little boy, daddy hops on the bus and they bus him to church. And then dad gets saved. A couple months after I'm born, mom and dad together decide to go to this little church in Durham. You want to know why? My dad will still tell you today that he visited multiple other churches, but Liberty Baptist Church was the only one where the people reached back out to him. And that's why they ended up going to that church. And from there, people invested in his life. And then I'm born and they disciple me. And and now you see the multi-generational effect of what? Being a what? A disciple, not just a church attender. We need to be disciples for Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want to give you a beautiful, not me, the Bible is going to give you a beautiful, practical illustration of this from the life of Paul and from the life of Timothy. So, so it is simply this, ready? And, 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 and my heart's desire was to make it as simple as possible because here is really what it's been for us, and we're going to change the whole dynamic, okay? For us, and, and I've been guilty of this as well. For me, it's, hey, let's go reach people. And they come to church and they get saved, We're like, good, we've done our job. They come up here and they go, We want to be members of New Life Baptist Church. It's like, good, we've done our job. They've been born again. Now they're on their way to heaven. Man, that's awesome. New life is growing. We've not done our job. It's just beginning. It is just starting. There's no way I would allow Ryland and Emily and neither would Aspen's grandparents over here allow Ryland and Emily to birth a child into the world and then to leave it late and say, man, glad you're in the family now and hope you take care of yourself. That's just the beginning. And the same thing goes for our church family. You say, pastor, you're very, a little passionate right now. And yes, because I'm tired of doing it the wrong way. It's, it, it's no longer going to be, hey, member, yes, good, we're done. If we are called to be what God's called us to be as a church and as a people, then it's going to be this, and the simplicity of this, it's going to be connect, equip, repeat. It can't get any simpler than that. Connect, equip, repeat. Connect, equip, repeat. Over and over and over again. We're going to connect with people. We're going to equip those people. And then we're going to see the process repeated. That's the work of the ministry. Matter of fact, the Bible references as multiplication of the gospel, not addition. Addition is one at a time multiplication is one and teaching that one how to go out and reach people for Jesus Christ because it's about the gospel, right? It's about people's lives being changed. And so here's what I like to do. I'm gonna take these three words and as rapidly as I can today, break them down for you, okay? And then um, explain in just a moment how we as a church are gonna make this happen in the weeks to come. Ready? Connect. What does it mean to connect? First of all, it means to intentionally reach and intentionally teach. So let me let me just pause by saying there's got to be intentionality. You don't just, uh, people just don't randomly show up to church. How many people in this auditorium right now, and you were driving down Val Vista and you're like, oh, there's a church. I think I'll visit. Anybody like that? How many of you were sitting at home and your life's a wreck and it's all terrible, or your life is good and all the bills are paid and everything's happened, you just woke up on a Sunday and went, huh, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just going to go to church. It may happen. It doesn't normally happen like that. Why? Because reaching people has to come intentionally. It has to come on purpose. It has to come um, with much prayer and, and much intentionality behind it. Um, like this, when you go to Walmart, you go with a card in your pocket. I did it yesterday. I went to get out of my car at Walmart, and I have a stack of our outreach cards. And I, le- I no, no joke, I went to grab the door, and I looked back, and I saw the card, and I went, oh. And I stuck it in my pocket and gave it out. I watched Tim the other night in um, Culver's and we met up on Friday night and and I saw Tim when he got done eating, took a card out of his pocket, it's got to be intentionally, and gave it. Intentionality is how the gospel is given. That's how we reach people. We see it in the Bible. Are you ready? John the Baptist testified of Jesus and Andrew heard it. Andrew went to Peter and testified of Jesus. Jesus comes along and finds them um, fishing, and he brings them in. The story goes on and on. And then the next person goes and testifies of Jesus. It's got to be intentional. Jesus found Andrew, Peter, James, and John fishing. Jesus found Matthew sitting uh, and collecting taxes, and he said, follow me. Jesus finds Philip, and he says, follow me. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, and said, we have found the one Nathaniel shows up to Jesus. Jesus says, What's up, Nathaniel? And you're like, Man, how did he know my name? I knew you while you were sitting underneath a fig tree. It's intentional. The gospel's intentional. It will not come by accident. You won't randomly stumble upon sharing the gospel and inviting people. It's got to be con- intentional. Hey, church, we have got to connect with people. It is our responsibility to connect with people and to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you are sitting in church right now because somebody invited you? (laughs) I need to keep the question going. I said, how many of you are sitting in church right now? And Tim raised his hand. Okay. All right. All of you are sitting right now. Um, uh, How many of you are sitting in church right now because a family member, a friend, a neighbor, an associate, whatever, uh, brought you to church or invited you to church? Raise your hand. That's how it happens most of the time. The gospel, a mom and dad brings a child. A neighbor invites you. A coworker says, hey, why don't you check out my church? A friend that you're at a cookout with says, hey, why don't you join us tomorrow? It's intentionality. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. 2 Timothy 2.10 says, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Whatever it takes. Paul wrote this letter. I'm hoping, Timothy, to come to you soon. I want to be a part of what you're doing. The gospel has to be intentional, reaching people for Jesus Christ. I love the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. This is so cool. This Ethiopian eunuch who was the treasurer for the king of, or the queen of Ethiopia, had come to Jerusalem to worship. OK? Now he was worshiping as part of the law, meaning he um, was, uh, uh, was following Passover, and they show up to Jerusalem once a year to follow that process. and so it's not that he knew Jesus, he was just being religious. On his way home, he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he doesn't understand it. So God miraculously tells Philip, and Philip comes over, and he walks along the side of the chair and said, hey, what's up? Nothing much. What you doing? He said, I'm reading the book of Isaiah, but I don't understand it. How can I unless somebody show me? And Philip's like, I can help and he climbs up inside of his chariot, and then he explains that the Bible says in Isaiah that he would come before as a lamb before the slaughter. And he explains who this is, that this is Jesus Christ who came to give his life for him. And as they're going along, the eunuch says, okay, what hinders me from getting in the water and being baptized? And my Bible says, if you believe, you can be baptized. And the Bible says that, that the eunuch called upon Jesus and believed and straightway he went out of the chariot and then Philip baptized him in the water. It wasn't the water that saved Philip. It wasn't baptism that saved Philip. It was Philip's believing upon Jesus that saved him and baptism was just a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And all of that because someone was willing to come out to follow God, to get in a chariot to share the information because they were more than just a believer. They were a believer. They came a follower. And as a follower, they turned, they learned, they loved God, and was willing to go work and serve him. Do you see it? It's there. That beautiful process is there. So let's quickly, in the, in the remaining time, see how this is going to happen. So first of all, connect. Then once we connect and somebody becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, I think it's time to equip. How are we going to do this? Five quick ways. Number one, investment. Investment. Anybody tell me what the word investment means? What is, when you think about the word investment, what does it mean? What does investment mean? You're going to make an investment. Do what? Okay, I'm talking about, yes, that's right. But I'm talking about in the, in, in the business world. What does it mean to make an investment? Do what? To put something in for the sake of getting something in return. We do that all the time. Putting something in for the sake of getting something in return. Okay? I want to help us in our thinking. This is one of the most important ones right here. Here's the problem when it comes to ministry. We see it wrong. Here's how we see it. We see our life is a $100 bill. And if I give myself to her, then I'm going to lose some time. And, and, and if I give myself and invest, I'm going to lose money. And, and if I give myself and invest, I'm going to have to give up some things and desires that I want. And so here's how we look at it. When life is done and I've given my life to Jesus, I got 10 bucks left. We're looking at it wrong. Biblically wrong. It's not that I'm giving and losing. It's that when I give, it's an investment. When I disciple somebody, I invest time and I invest energy and I invest money and I have to give up different things in my life so that I can see them grow in their faith. It's not just giving to lose, it's giving to return. But can I say this? Let's say that I invest in uh, this family over here, the Thompsons, and, and I disciple Sean, and I disciple Cindy, and three years down the road, Sean's like, I don't even care, and he walks away from God, and he never comes back to church, and I never see them again, did I lose? No, it's an investment in where? It's an investment in heaven. My treasures are not laid up here where moth and rust doth corrupt, or where thieves break through and steal. My investment is eternally and God rewards those who invest in the lives of people. You're looking at it wrong. Quit looking at it as what I'm gonna lose. Look at it as what I'm going to gain. And the Bible says when one lost sinner comes to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. There's much rejoicing, the Bible says. My investment is so important. And Paul, notice these passages I'll read to you in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. By the way, the word elect there is not talking about some that are chosen by God. It's referring to the two verses prior, talking about the descendants of David in verse number 9. I do all things so that they might know the salvation of, of God. The Bible is clear. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy hoping to come and be with him, longing in 2 Timothy 1.4 to be with him. 1 Timothy 3.14, I'm going to get there. I'm making every effort to invest to be with you. Paul actually said this. I thought it was a powerful statement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul says, it is necessity if I don't give you the truth. Matter of fact, he says, woe unto me, If I share not the gospel, it is necessity. Hey, how many of you can think of some necessities right now? What are are the necessities for you being able to be alive? Got to have food? Man, I know where some of your minds are at right now. The the, the permeating word right then was food. Uh, Okay, come on, pastors, 1208, let's get this thing on the road, right? You've been talking about business engraving. I've been thinking about food ever since, (laughs) right? Uh, So so, so we, we got to have food to survive. We got to have oxygen. We got to have water. Those are necessities. Here's what Paul said. It's the same word in, in, in the Greek. Woe unto me. It's necessity like breathing that I give you the gospel. Wow, that is amazing. Because it is for the child of God, for a disciple to be what a disciple's got to be. We've got to be sharing the gospel. It's more than attending. He's a disciple. Notice here, we've got to equip by investing. Number two, we've got to equip by being involved in their lives. The Apostle Paul says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard of me. He says again in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance, along with the persecutions of sufferings that came to me. How how did Timothy learn so much? Because he was with Paul. Not only does it take... Investment, it takes involvement in people's lives. Matter of fact, we have two letters that Paul sat down and wrote in order to help Timothy. They were together. Timothy watched him. Notice what the Bible says, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct. Then he says later, don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. You're watching me. Let's serve together. The best way to disciple is if you're building a shed. Invite some over, some young Christian over to build that shed with you. Not so that you have an extra hand for labor, although that's a benefit, okay? Um, But you can invest in him. Matter of fact, why don't you give up what you're doing and go help him with his shed so you can invest in him? Are, Are you understanding this since we're going? We need to be discipling and growing and investing in people. You say, Pastor, this is too much. I didn't come to church to have to work. I just came to church to sit. <laughs> you making... The truth being known, you don't love God the way you should. It's not me that you're not loving. It's not our church. I-, I promise you that. Because if you're a disciple, you love him so much, you're like, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. This is not manipulation. I on- Okay, let me back up. It would be a lie for me to say that I've never given my wife anything because I didn't feel manipulated. Okay. All right. All of us do that sometimes because if mama ain't happy, right, nobody's happy. We want mama to be happy, so we do some things sometimes just so mama to be happy. But the truth be known, to get to the core of that is because I love her with all of my being. I walked in the kitchen this morning, I mean, not the kitchen, the bathroom this morning, and she was, she was almost ready, and I wrapped my arms around her. And I kissed her on the side of her head and I said, Robin, I have nothing in this life greater than you. Nothing. So I'll do anything for her. I'll die for her. Do you get it? So this is not manipulation. If you love God and I love him more than her, then God, I'm willing to do anything. What do you want me to do? Come on, tell me. And Paul is investing in Timothy and helping Timothy to see the same thing as they serve together and they love God together. I mean, again, Paul included Timothy's name um, with his own in six of his letters to other churches. He involved Timothy in the care of the churches by sending him to places like Corinth and Philippi. We heard the story of Thessalonica. Um, all throughout the Bible, involvement, involvement. Number three, instruction. 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 We should be giving instruction from the Word of God to people on how they should live and how they should give their life to Him. Um, Notice these verses. I'm gonna. I'll let the Word do the speaking. I'm reminded. I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul said, uh, Timothy, I'm putting you in this place of ministry. He says, I'm instructing you against false doctrine. Later, he says, I'm I'm exhorting and teaching you to be a man of faith. Later, he says, I want you to be a man of God, so flee and pursue God and fight unrighteousness. He says, Timothy, I want you to do the work of the evangelist, and here's how you do it. Over and over again, we see Paul instructing Timothy on how to live say pastor but I don't know how to instruct somebody else I don't know enough about the Bible myself to be a disciple maker and I'm okay with that as long as that's not an excuse to do nothing what that should tell me is that I'm going to go find somebody who can disciple me because a disciple is a follower who is a what someone who leaves and someone who is learning got it I want somebody to disciple me. I want somebody to invest in me. This is no joke. No no stretch. I have multiple people who I call weekly and say, tell me what I should do. Teach me. That man right there is one of them. And then other godly men who I said, teach me, invest in me. I need to know. They're my disciples. They're discipling me so that I can what? Disciple others. It's continuous. You see it? This is what is happening in Scripture. We need instruction number, number four, intervention. Intervention is so important. If you are going to be a disciple, you will be required to sometimes put your hand in somebody's chest and say, no, you're not. Don't do it. Do you want somebody to come along you and do that every once in a while? Yeah. That's hard, though, as a man, isn't it? Especially a six-foot-two man with red hair. That's no joke right there, okay? I'm married to a redhead, I know, right? It's hard every once in a while to say, hey, don't do it. Matter of fact, did you know the the book of 2 Timothy, the second letter Paul writes to Timothy, that's what it was. It was intervention. Timothy was about to slip away. That's why over and over in the text it says, don't do it, Timothy, don't do it. Hold fast. You see these other two that have fallen away? Don't fall away, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Timothy. Hold fast, hold firm. A lot of exhortation in the passage saying, wait, Timothy, don't. And it's gonna require, sometimes it's gonna hurt. Sometimes it's gonna be heavy. Sometimes it's a battle. When we start discipling people and, and investing in their lives and being involved in their lives, it's gonna require some intervention. Don't. Don't go that path. It's not worth it. Come back. Takes a lot of work. Takes a lot of denial. It takes a lot of rejection. But that's what's required. Number five, intercession. Intercession. Check this out. The word intercession means prayer on somebody's behalf. Somebody interceding for you, going to God for you. Notice what the Bible says. I constantly remember you in my prayers, Paul said to Timothy, night and day. Night and day, the, Paul's word says constantly, over and over again, remembering you in prayer. I'm praying for you, Timothy. How can you be a disciple and invest in somebody if you don't pray for them? I'm praying for you. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. I love what 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel said, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. We are called to intercede on others' behalf. I've prayed for you. I've prayed for y'all. I've prayed for you. Ms. Ramsey's perfect. She doesn't need prayer. Um, I'm just kidding. I've prayed for Ramsey. I've prayed for you. In this room, who are you praying for? Have you prayed for me? Have you prayed for those sitting beside you? Have you prayed for those that are without Christ? He said, pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest to bring those laborers in. Pray, pray. Okay, ready? We're going to connect. How are we going to connect? By intentionally seeking, reaching, and teaching them. Number two, I want us to um, equip people. We're going to equip them by being involved in their life, by investing, by instructing, by intervening, and by interceding in prayer. I'm trying to make this as easy as we can. Ready? Thirdly, repeat. That's what we see in this text. As I taught you, Timothy, repeat it. And then you go. He literally says, you go teach others also who shall be able to teach others. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. That is what the church is here for, and that is what God is calling us to do. Like Timothy, I am who I am because of the people who invested in me. For me, it was godly parents. For me, it was, it was grandparents. For me, it's been teachers and youth pastors. For me, it's been Christian friends who sharpen and encourage me. That's who it's been for me. And I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to go out, connect, equip, and then repeat. Connect, equip. So the question around here is, who are you connecting with? Who are you equipping? Right? Who are you connecting with? Who are you equipping? Connect, equip, repeat. Closing closing thought and I'm done. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is trying to explain to the church, I'm okay. Yes, I'm in bonds. Yes, I've been put in jail, but I'm okay. The church at Philippi was very worried. If you're doing right, Paul, then why are you in jail? So Paul writes the letter back to the church at Philippi to try to explain, I'm good. I'm in bonds right now because of the gospel, which is great. Matter of fact, if I wasn't in bonds, the jailer would have never come to know Christ. And then he goes on to say, and because I've been here, the word has spread out through the entire kingdom, not the kingdom, excuse me, the, the entire castle, the quarters of even the emperor because I've been in jail. It's okay. Then he says this, and, and, and I'm going to just paraphrase for a minute if, you, if you'll let me do that. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die is even better. That's That's pretty powerful. He says, matter of fact, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. There's a part of me that wants to die and be with God. Then there's a part of me that's recognizing this. And here's the phrase. He says in Philippians 1, it is more needful for me that I stay. For your joy in your faith. Can I ask you a question? Paul said, man, I'd much rather go to heaven but it's more needful for you that I stay. Who is it more needful that you be around instead of you being gone? You understand what Paul was saying, right? I can't die right now because if I die, your joy and your faith doesn't increase. I need to be here right now. And God knows that. All right, so let's simplify the question. Ready? Everybody has to have an answer. There's not a single person in this room that, that you might not answer, but there is an answer. Are you ready? Everybody answer this first question. Who is your Paul? Who is your Paul? Who is the one right now that is investing and discipling you? Who is your Paul? If you say, I don't have a Paul... Then you're not a disciple. You say, well, well, I mean, I can't I can't find a Paul right now and I I don't have a Paul right now, but it's because you're too prideful to listen. You're too good to grow. Who's your Paul? Who do you have that's investing in your life right now? Because in order to be a disciple, you've got to be learning. Who's your Paul? Do you have a Paul? Okay. And investing. You know what? I, I want that to be more. I, I want to invest in you from this spot, but the best investment comes when one of these other godly ripe apples picks you to invest in. You get it? Isn't that cool? Who's your Paul? Number two, who is your Timothy. Who are you investing in? You got to have a Paul investing in you. You got to have a Timothy that you're investing in. Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? Who are you pouring your life into and impacting? Well, I've only been saved for, you know, a couple of months. I don't really know a lot about Jesus. Well, then then find a Paul so that you can find a Timothy. Right? Isn't that easy? Do you see the simplicity of that now? Connect, equip, repeat. I don't want to be an apple that just sits and then causes everyone around me to rot. I want to be the apple that gets everybody matured so they can be picked up. and <clears throat> Don't you love that sound of an apple, right? Nothing pops like the bite of an apple. To be used. Father, I pray that you'd help us to realize the importance of being a disciple.
0: We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC Podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.